We've been talking about it all day. Ed Bouchette of the Post-Gazette says it's not definite. The Steelers are bringing back Lev Bell. And I am hearing the very same thing. The key would be how would the Steelers spend that 14.5 mil, they would say. If they get a playmaking inside backer to replace Shazier, that would be okay. And then draft somebody to replace Vince in the first two rounds, and your defense would be repaired uh, to a fine edge. Huh? But uh, I'm not sure Bell is absolutely necessary to requirements. It's a passing league and not a running league. Look how quick Bell became irrelevant on Sunday. Bell doesn't get tough, crucial yards. He's simply not that kind of back. He's a tap dancer. And the Steelers do suck in the red zone. There are plenty of very good backs out there that will be cheaper and not that much of a downgrade. And then consider, Webb Bell missed camp last year. He's going to miss camp again if he gets franchised and is threatened to sit out the season or retire. He's been suspended twice for pot and is going to get suspended again. Bell creates constant commotion. Lev Bell is, in short, a pain in the ass. Maybe the Steelers have had just about enough of Lev Bell. And boy, ditching him would certainly send a message. Fun time is over. Sick again, brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. By the way, I am sick again. I had that chest cold in Vegas. It went away for like 10 days. Now it's back. Going to the doctor tomorrow. So with my family's history of lung problems, I could easily show up for tomorrow's show with a death sentence. How would you guys like that? That doesn't certainly make for fun talking. But I think it's just congestion. Maybe something bronchial. Maybe even walking pneumonia. You know, one way I was raised that I don't think necessarily is good, I was raised you go to work no matter what. There have been a couple days in the past week where most people would have called in and said, I feel too bad to come in. And maybe I'd be okay by now, but I'm going to go to the doctor tomorrow. Hopefully it won't be too bad. And if it is, I never figured I'd make it past 60 anyway. And I, and I said this to friends recently. I'm 57. If you told me right now, this second, that I would drop dead on my 70th birthday but live an independent life till then, I'd take that in a second. In a second. Uh, I took care of my mother in her declining years, and that was 68 through 71 because she got a lung disorder. Took care of my grandmother in her declining years. That was 84 through 86, I believe. That was no box of chocolates, and honestly... I'm not complaining, but there's no one to take care of me. So, you know, 70, drop dead, do okay till then. I can live with that. You know, there comes a point where all this isn't that much fun anymore. I mean, I'm not looking to, you know, grab a rope and head to the nearest, the highest rafter in my house. But, but you know, it, it just, after a while, I'll give you a case in point. Boy, this is deep. Uh I always have heard that your dreams die before you do. And that's true. I'll tell you why. My career's been really good. I mean, you you can you can't compare anybody else in sports radio's career in Pittsburgh to mine. That's no knock on anybody, you just can't. And that's in Pittsburgh history. What what can I do now? It's not gonna get appreciably better. I'm too old to go national, not that that was ever a goal. I'm making as much money. 
I mean, I'll get fractional raises if I'm lucky from here on out. So what do you think about? What do you plan for? What do you want to do? You don't. You just show up for work that day. You know, when I run my hockey tournaments, those are still fun. I love going to concerts. I still really enjoy that. I'm going to Robert Plant in New York next month. I'm going to Donnie Iris' birthday show in Greensburg next month. I really still do love doing that. But uh, overall, I mean, what's left? You know? Except I like to eat, but that's going to be what kills me. Let's go to Isaac in Highland Park. Isaac, you're on with Mark. Hey, Mark. How you doing? I just told you. <laughs> um, I'm calling about the Lev Bell debate. I'm going to present a uh, pro-Bell argument. I'm curious if you got to think about it. Um, I agree that I, and, he, I, and, I, and there are, that argument's there because, believe me, this is in no way a cut-and-dried case. Please do go on. Okay, cool. Um, so I think, yeah, like we all know Bell's a jerk. He's greedy. It sucks. Um, and it bothers me, too. And that 14.5 could be used to be helpful, but I feel like he's the piece on offense that really separates us from the rest of the league. And I know Ben's great. I know Brown's phenomenal. But I think that he's that spot, and taking that 14.5, I think it takes a little bit of a longer time to really develop the defense into making it to a point where it would be oh, you, you might bigger... be You might be right. It would be, if you got that playmaking linebacker, it would be tough to blend him in right that second. Right. Although they I were think... willing to try with Dante Hightower. They, they tried to sign him. But, uh, but I don't think Lev Bell, I used to think that Lev Bell, as you say, is what separates the Steelers' offense from the rest of the league. It's not. It's Antonio Brown. Well, I, I think Brown is probably a little bit more of a, well, is a more valuable asset. But what I like to look at when I think about Bell in comparison um, is you go to the Mendenhall years where he had a really great passing attack. I think Mendenhall was good. But you compare that offense to now, and the difference is very significant. And if you, you know, enhance the play calling with the new coordinator, I really think it Yeah, can... but you got Brown now. I mean, look look at the damage Brown did Sunday against Jacksonville in a losing effort, and look at how irrelevant Bell became once Jacksonville got ahead by a couple scores. That's true. I mean, I'm talking about the uh, Wallace-Sanders-Brown years, and Brown hadn't developed to the superstardom that he's at now in those, at that time frame. Um, yeah, I, I'm not going to compare that receiving core to this receiving core. This receiving core is way better. Okay. Do you think um, Brian and Smith-Schuster will get along next year? Do you think that's going to be a problem without Bell? With oh, I, I, I think back? they got along this year, except for the one you know crappy uh, tweet or Facebook or IG post that, that Bryant made, whatever it was. But uh, I think they're going to have a good receiving core, even if it's Brown and Smith-Schuster and somebody else. But I have a feeling Brian's going to stay. Uh, I, I have no... I just don't think he would or should want to start over. And I think by the end of the year, Ben was starting to show more confidence in him as witnessed by uh, his targets in the game against Jacksonville. Let's go to John in Mount Pleasant. John, you're on with Mark. What's going on, man? What up, man? Hey, you know, at the beginning of the year, you was all about paying Bell when he was sitting out. He yep, and I've seen the error of my ways. I was wrong then, and I'm right now. Even super geniuses yeah. can change their mind. Right. Now, now look at the past of the draft that we have with our defensive players. It seems like just about every other year, every year, you have a defensive player of the year, a rookie. I mean, Joey Porter. I believe eight of the last ten first-round draft picks have been used on uh, defensive players. Right. So our inside linemen, I'm, I'm almost guaranteed positive that we're going to have a good inside linebacker drafted. Now, keeping Bell, that would keep a dual threat on the running and the passing. That, that keeps the defense yeah, you, you off. Yeah, you just don't really need that. 
I feel that we do. Because, I mean, Ridley isn't going to do nothing. Who else is going to be coming up? And yeah, you, you just signed a free agent. I don't know if you heard what I said earlier, but in 2015, D'Angelo Williams got paid one-tenth of what Bell's going to make uh, this next season if he's franchised. And he averaged 4.5 yards per carry, scored 11 touchdowns, and uh, gained 907 yards in 10 starts. That's good enough. It's not as good as Bell, but it's definitely good enough. It's not that hard to find a decent running back in this league. Yeah, that's taking a gamble, and that's just good enough. Well, I mean, don't you think at this point they should be gambling, having soiled the bed in playoff after playoff? No, I just think the team needs to come together and play well now that we got rid of Oh, okay, Coach Rockney. Or are you John Lennon? You know what Einstein's definition of insanity is? Yeah. What is it? Try try again with the same results. Close enough. If you do the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. That's the definition of insanity, according to Einstein. Maybe we should trade for the atomic bomb. The minute we get a lead in the playoff game, just blow up the stadium. Let's go to Joe in Ocean City. Joe, you're on with Double M. Mark, you're talking uh, about you know possible inside linebackers if this money frees up with the Bell situation. And to be I'm fair, a- having entered this show not wanting to keep Bell, but now I don't, I don't know who those potential linebackers available would be. Well, like you said, Dante Hightower, I mean, there's no splash out there. I'm going to throw a name out, Avery Williamson, linebacker out of Tennessee. I mean, not a superstar, but guy's awesome against the run, you know, and then get him in there. Well, you see, you see, Joe, I want two. I want to replace Bince, too. I think Bince is a curtain jerker. I think he's a bench warmer. I think you need better than him. So I want to draft one and sign one. Well, draft one and sign one. That's, you know what I mean? You can find somebody out there. I don't know what as far as the you know crop coming out of, out of college at the time, but I think that guy out of Tennessee, I think that'd be a good fit. The guy's a monster against the run. Thank you for the call. Uh, Mel Kuyper Jr., who I'd like to strangle, because actually Mel's a really nice guy, and I've said this bitch many times on my show, but every year Mel predicts the draft, right? And every year he's so far off, it's it defies description. He misses almost every pick. And then the day after the draft, they just forget how bad he screwed up and let him start predicting the next draft. I mean, it got to be somebody who could do better than that. I think he could do better than that drawing the names out of a hat. Anyway, Mel thinks they will use their first-round pick to take an inside linebacker, specifically Alabama inside linebacker Rashawn Evans. There you have it, the first prediction for the Steelers' first-round draft pick. In 2018. In just a moment, uh, we're going to play that Mike uh, Francesa sound about Mike Tomlin, the uh, former New York talk show legend. And JT, the brick of Fox Sports Radio, made a Mike Tomlin comment that uh, I don't agree with it, but I don't totally disagree with it either. 105.9. Now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Is this Bob Hope? Hi, uh, this is. How you doing? Oh, boy, hey, uh, you know what? Why? This? Call back when you're coherent. The X at 105.9. A uh, couple tweets. Paul Zeiss 
uh, from the Post-Gazette and Bill Brink from the Post-Gazette are going back and forth online about a tweet by Brink that is a quote from Neil Huntington. Quote, there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of false narrative out there about when we're looking to compete again. We're looking to compete again this year, unquote. And Paul responds, that's a very hard case to make when you just traded your two best players. Exactamundo. And I also question the use of the word again. We're looking to compete again this year because that implies you competed last year and you certainly did not. Uh, Mark Cabali tweets from, from The Athletic, Mike Tomlin said Tuesday he needed time to evaluate his coaching staff. 48 hours later, he fired and hired an offensive coordinator. Sure has the appearance that Tomlin had this figured out a while ago. Well, Mark, I don't know if he had it figured out a while ago. I think the team did. And one thing about Tomlin that the team likes, when they tell him what to do, he does it. If they tell him to make a change on his coaching staff, like look at Mike Malarkey in Tennessee. They wanted him to stay. And they wanted to make adjustments to his coaching step. And he said no. So him him and the Titans part of ways. Tomlin will always say yes. He's going to keep that job no matter what they want him to do. And I don't blame him for that, but that's the reality of Tomlin's situation with the Steelers. Uh, JT the Brick, the national sports host on Fox, said something about Mike Tomlin I can't criticize. He said, if you make the playoffs of professional sports, your job should be safe. But in reality, the Steelers can't get to the next level with Mike Tomlin anymore, unquote. That's cruel but fair. Now, earlier I talked about what Mike Francesa said on the NFL Network about Mike Tomlin. Mike Francesa, the legendary, just-retired New York City talk show host. Here's Mike Francesa talking about Mike Tomlin. Like the reality in Pittsburgh is they just lost at home to the Jacksonville Jaguars. The offensive coordinator's fired. There's a lot of internet chatter coming towards the head coach. What do you make on the state of the Steelers? Well, the offense coordinator's gone because it's the oldest adage. Throw one to the alligators so they don't eat you. I mean, Mm. that's basically it. Someone had to go. Someone had to pay the price. He shouldn't have paid the price. Let's be honest. Tomlin's been a bad head coach for a couple of years now. He has been an incredibly successful, he's one of my favorite coaches. He's just gotten weird in recent years on how he's coaching. This year, I've never seen a coach take a tact. Seven weeks in the, uh, to go before the season was over, he was talking about playing the Pats in the AFC title game. I've never even heard anybody do that before. Whoever looks past an opponent, he looked past every opponent. He talked about playing them, when he played them the first time, he said, we will meet twice. He talked about it like it was a foregone conclusion. Well, you better get to that game if you do. But in-game, his decision-making is so bad, and it is such a colossal waste of talent. They never adjusted to any of the simple stuff Jacksonville was doing. Mm. Okay, They never took care of Bortles out of the backfield. They never took care of throwing the ball. They, all the simple throws that, that he gave them. But the biggest problems were just the fact that he did not give, have his team respected an opponent. And I think that's a huge problem for a head coach. Plus, not kicking that onside kick. Mm-hmm. Forget how bad the onside kick was. The decision. Trying to take the onside kick there and not kick off, knowing that they would never let Bortles try to make a play there. Mm-hmm. It would have been three, three downs. Hand off, hand off, hand off. And, kick, and punt it back. You're going to pick up a lot of real estate. 
and you know what, you're a quarterback, he can win the game yeah. on one play. Right. You know, I've tried to say Brown wasn't the best wide receiver because I don't personally like him. He's yeah. now the best wide receiver. That's Mike Francesa on the NFL Network. One thing to say about the NFL Network, they let people rip coaches and players and teams in the league. It's it's a very fair coverage, which, you know, you'd think for an in-house network, it, it wouldn't be that way. But uh, what JT the Brick said, and what you just heard Mike Francesa say, I'll be very blunt. I've heard a lot of criticism of Mike Tomlin since the Sunday loss to Jacksonville. And all of it is very reasonable, including what you just heard, what I just read from uh, Francesca. You heard I read JT the Brick. I wouldn't fire him, but like Peter King's going to tell us at five fifteen when he joins me, Tomlin has a lot to fix, and is he even willing to fix it? That's my question. Won't fire Joey Porter, buddy system. To me, that means he doesn't want to fix anything. That might be a microcosm, but. It's a very telling one. Josh Showy up next to talk hockey. 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius, big fan, big fan. Hashtag best in the world. You are the super genius. <laughs> I'll say. And then some. The X at 105.9. Joining me now on the road in Los Angeles from The Athletic, it's hockey writer Josh Showy. Josh, I thought last night was a bad game for the Penguins. Uh, I don't think the Ducks are very good. And the Penguins just can't get traction, that consistency. Uh, yeah, Mark, you know, it was a different kind of loss than the losses we've seen earlier in the year. Uh, there were some positives. The Penguins had the puck a ton. Uh, they're just playing with a lot more energy right now and a lot more of an offensive game, which is encouraging. But they just played kind of a dumb game last night. I thought just a lot of bad decisions at the neutral zone. You can't give up four breakaways. I don't care who you're playing. A lot of like the Ducks. It was, it was just a very careless performance. And you especially cannot play that way when you know you've got a rested Kings team the next night at Staples Center. Um, that's a pretty tall order. So, no, nah, it was just a sloppy loss, I would say. Why did the Penguins concede so many breakaways? Uh, four breakaways and also a couple 2 one ones. Well, I mean, there was no particular reason. I, I think, you know, Mike Sullivan called it a lack of attention to detail. That might be a nice way to put it. But uh, I think when the Penguins start feeling better about themselves offensively, like they clearly are and should be right now, I think when that happens, they just get greedy and they start cheating a little bit. And, and you could see it a lot last night. They were just trying so hard to push the offense that they just didn't play a smart two-way game. So uh, we've seen it a lot over the years. Even with great Penguin teams, they do get greedy at times. They, they want to push for the offense uh, left and right. And the Ducks burned them badly last night. It was uh, just not a not a sound performance. Mike Sullivan uh, was pretty sour after what he uh, witnessed from his team in the second period, and you can't blame him. Well, I agree with the causes you're saying for the uh, uh, breakaways and, and two-on-ones, but I think the defensemen are getting too involved offensively, and I think the pinching is too reckless, and that's leaving them wide open in the back. Uh, what say you, Josh? Are you seeing any of that? Yeah, that's fair. I mean, they've, they've always been that way under Sullivan, that they always kind of play on the edge. Uh, there's an aggression. But, you know, it's one thing when it's a Crystal Tang or a Justin Schultz pinching. Uh, my issue with the system is, you know, Matt Hunwick pinches just the same or Jamie Alexiak pinches just as often. And those guys just aren't equipped with the ability of a Crystal Tang to, to get back into the play or to pinch wisely. And I think it needs to be better tailored, uh, you know, given who's on the ice. And, yes, uh, that's a problem that they've 
we see it a lot. I know you and I you know, talk about this in the press box all the time, Mark. When the Penguins have a lead, you know, they can be up 4-2 with five minutes left, and they're still pinching at the other team's blue line. That It just doesn't always make sense. Uh, Sullivan likes to play fast. But are the Penguins too tired to play fast every night, and is there a plan B? Um, no, I don't really think there is a plan B. Um, you know, it's funny. The Penguins were not as fast of a team last year, I didn't think, as they were the year before. Um, everybody wants to play fast, and the Penguins are, are no different. Um, but no, uh, they're not going to become some stoic uh, team that relies on a, a power game or heavy hockey. That, that's just not who they are. It's not really... Well, well Josh, I don't want do. that. But maybe I want a defenseman to not pinch every time in the third with the lead. <laughs> Maybe I want Latang to not join the rush every time in the third with the lead. Uh, maybe instead of fast, they can they can go smart once in a while. That's the issue. And when the Penguins are at their best, yeah, they're really fast, but they don't feel like they're rushing things, do they? And, uh, yeah, there, there was kind of a panicky edge to their game last night, and it's just not necessary. Um, and you bring up Latang, and, and he's probably the best example of it. Um, he didn't have a great game last night. He's been much better lately. And when he is at his best, he does play more of almost a slow-paced, thoughtful game, and eventually that natural talent just takes over. And last night, I thought Latang in particular was just really aggressive, um, made a couple of bad decisions with the puck. Uh, the one breakaway, he and Malkin just weren't communicating at all. I don't know what that was. But, yes, I mean, the Penguins need a little bit more of a thoughtful approach. It can't just be uh, running around by like, like a chicken with its head cut off. That's not going to work against good teams. Well, especially when, and I don't think Anaheim's a good team, Josh, but they didn't give no. the Penguins a single odd man break, so uh, it, what they lack in quality, they certainly brought in fundamentals. No, that's right. That's what, it's no wonder Mike Sullivan was in a bad mood. It makes the coach look bad when, when your team gives up seven or eight odd man rushes and, and you don't get one the other direction. That's a really good way to lose a hockey game. Because the fact of the matter is, Mark, the Penguins had the puck most of the game last night. They're clearly a more talented team. They're, they're, they're great players. are playing great. But when the odd man rushes, when there's that much of a disparity, um, that's what's going to happen. And, and those were all within the Penguins' control. It was one of those games. I didn't feel like the Ducks did anything special last night. The Penguins really shot themselves in the foot. And that's great that they have a lot more energy now, and it's very clear to the naked eye that they do. But, yeah, you still have to play smart hockey, and that was not on display last night at all. We're talking to Josh Oey of TheAthletic.com. He's brought to you by the Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. Uh, it wasn't a great night for Tristan Jari, was it? Uh, he looked awful on that wraparound that made a 2-1 to Anaheim. I know the other goals were good shots, but I don't know. He just seemed to be swimming a little bit. A little bit. He was really good in the first period. I'll give him that. Uh, I think he stopped 14 or 15 shots, a bunch on the power play. Really sharp start. But, yeah, he wasn't just beaten on those breakaways. He was beaten really cleanly. No question. The wraparound was by far the worst goal he allowed. I didn't think he was terrible, but it was the kind of game a goaltender could have stolen with a really good performance, and he didn't do it. And Maybe he's just not at that level yet. I, I look at Tristan right now, and I think he's just a perfectly average NHL goalie at the moment. And For a kid who's only been in the league a few months, that's great. That's a really good sign. But he's not stealing games. He's not really making any highlight reel saves. And between he and Murray... Um, a lot of troubles on breakaways this season. Maybe we became spoiled over the years watching Marc-Andre Fleury as one of the best goaltenders ever against breakaways. But, gosh, it seems like every single time a, an opposition team gets a breakaway, it's going in the net. 
In the other net, John Gibson was great, Johnny Whitehall. If he doesn't make a couple huge saves, I bet the Penguins win. No, you're right. I just uh, went to Newport Beach this morning on advice from Johnny Whitehall, in fact, who lives out there and is a big fan of the area. And uh, I'll tell you what, Mark, uh, we've always been fans of his. We know how gifted he is. He, to me, is kind of taking that step from good NHL goaltender to elite NHL goaltender. Um, he's a really special player. He's just so big, so athletic. He's got a couple of years of experience under his belt now. And like we've said, Anaheim, to me, is kind of an aging team. Getzloff and Perry aren't quite what they were. Uh, there may be a playoff team, but nothing more, I don't believe. But he makes them different. Because of him, uh, you don't want to play that team in a playoff series because that's the kind of goaltender that can steal a playoff series. Uh, he, to me, is on the verge of stardom. Who do you expect in goal tonight for the Penguins at L.A.? I think Jari will start again. Uh, he didn't have a huge workload. Um, I, we're not going to see Matt Murray on this trip, obviously. Uh, Casey DeSmith is a guy, I, I don't know, I don't get the sense they're particularly eager to play him. Uh, it's possible, but uh, my guess is Jari will start uh, both the game at Staples Center tonight and in San Jose on Saturday night. The power play was great. Two more goals last night. The Stars were great. Lots of points. At least some momentum got retained in those areas. Sid, Phil, and Gino all very productive again. Yeah, they were, and it starts with Sid. And, Mark, I, I keep going back to that Friday night a couple of weeks ago in Brooklyn. I don't know what happened between the Carolina game and that game, but something happened with number 87 because he has been absolutely locked in playing his best hockey of the season. He had an unbelievable shift in the first period last night. It actually led to Malkin's goal. I don't think uh, the, the Ducks ever got out of their own territory because of Crosby's work on that shift. Malkin hopped over and, and it scored about 10 seconds later. Crosby is insanely good right now. Malkin and Kessel are right there with him. And as long as those three maintain the way they're playing right now, um, I'm not saying all the Penguins' problems are solved, but frankly, a lot of them will be. Uh, how about that Kessel goal? I mean, sweet Jeebus. Who's going to stop that? that? That's one of the most unstoppable shots I've seen in recent memory. You know, and Phil is doing this to great goaltenders. Um, he did the same thing to Hendrick Lundqvist the other night. And when you make Lundqvist and Gibson look that bad, on that shot last Okay, Kessel's shot was so good, we lost Josh Yoey. Wow. Uh, that shot by Kessel, just unbelievable. Well, I hope we can get Yoey back because I want to find out why Sullivan bent Sprong. And I hope... That doesn't lead to Sprong being scratched tonight because that wouldn't do a young guy any good to get benched in the third, got yanked off Crosby's line in the first, and then not play the next night to see if he absorbed the lesson. And plus, I don't know who you're going to put in there. You're going to put Jean Sebastian Day in there? I wouldn't think so. Okay, yo, he's back. Uh, Josh, uh, Kessel is only six points off the scoring lead. He's tied for second now. Do you think he has a chance at the scoring title? I guess it's possible. I always assume Crosby or Malcolm would pass him at some point, frankly. But he's playing out of his mind, and before I got caught off, we were talking about that shot, Mark. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy shoot a puck like him. I really don't. He's making even the best goaltender in hockey just look silly. Gibson didn't even have his glove hand raised yet when the puck had already blown past it last night. It's just incredible how bad he makes goalies look. Why did Sullivan bench Daniel Sprong in the third period? And was that benching warranted to your point of view? 
I didn't see anything wrong that Strong did, although I thought he was kind of quiet the last couple of games. Uh, I asked Sullivan about it after the game, and he certainly hinted that he doesn't think Strong is working hard enough. Uh, I asked him why Strong wasn't out there, and Sullivan said, well, I'm looking for the you know the, the best lineup scenarios to win. And then he said, I want guys out there who are playing hard. So that <laughs> tells me he doesn't think Strong was playing hard enough, and, and he's going to be hard on him. Uh, the Penguins just think Strong you know, You know, I get that, Josh, but, he, but here's the thing. You're trying to catch up. And, and hard work can't put the puck in the net like Daniel Sprong. I hesitate to say not working hard because you don't want to reward that, but he's he's a better bet to score than, than a lot of guys given a million percent. Completely agree. And the fact is they were down 4-3 with five minutes left last night and Ryan Reeves was on the ice instead of Daniel Sprong. Um, with all due respect to Sullivan, who I respect very much, I think uh, I know which guy would give you a better chance to tie the game, and it's not Ryan Reeves. Do you expect Sprong to play tonight at Los Angeles? I do. I mean, I don't think he did anything so offensively bad that he shouldn't be in the lineup. Uh, will he be on Crosby's line again? That might be a better question. I don't know. I, I think that will be interesting. Finally, Josh, what was the locker room like after losing for the first time in in, in five games, after four straight wins prior? Because uh, I thought the locker room had really perked up recently after lacking confidence abjectly for quite a while before that. You know, they were still pretty positive, actually. It was not your typical uh, post-game locker room loss. Um, people were pretty positive. I, I just think, especially the big guys, uh, Crosby and Malkin, they weren't happy that they lost. But you, you can tell that they both feel really good about their respective games right now. And they feel very good about the direction the team is heading in. So, pretty positive. But like I said earlier, uh, this is not an easy test tonight at all in Los Angeles. This is a pretty good team they're playing that's rested. Uh, this is a tall order. Josh, great stuff. Enjoy L.A. We'll see you when you get back. All right, Mark, you got it. That's Josh Showey. Check out his work at theathletic.com. He's brought to you by the Orthopedic Institute at Monongahela Valley Hospital. After this, we'll talk to Bob McLaughlin, and the question of the day is, should the Steelers bring back Lev Bell or let him walk and spend the money on defense? 105.9X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Mark, I uh, love the show, man. Hey, Mark, how you doing, pal? All hail, double M. The X at 105.9. Joining me now is Bob McLaughlin. Bob brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, we've been debating all day whether Lev Bell should stay or go. Whether they should just let him walk via free agency or re-up him uh, via the franchise tag and paying $14.5 million. Uh, what's your call? Um, listening to your argument and the phone caller's argument all day, Mark, um, it, even with all of those good points, it would be tough for me to sit in that meeting with Kevin Colbert or Mike Tomlin and vote to get rid of him. He is such a weapon. And, and I understand it will allow you to do a lot more on fixing that defense. And fixing the defense has to be priority number one right now. Um well, I guess priority number one right now would be fixing the defensive coaches and maybe getting one of them out of there. Yeah, they're 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 not going anywhere. Not even not even the mascot, Joey Porter. He just you know, Lev Bell presents so many things that he does really well. He is such a weapon. And also it, he makes other teams scheme for him or plan around him. But with Antonio Brown is doing right now, he may be uh, he's gotta be the number one guy that they're planning to stop. Well, and you heard the stats from D'Angelo Williams in twenty fifteen. Uh, when Bell only started six games due to suspension and injury, they were brilliant. Yep. Uh, more than good enough 
at literally one-tenth the price. D'Angelo Williams made one-tenth that year what Le'Veon Bell is going to make next year if he's franchised. And it, it's not a running back or running league anymore, Bob. No, you're right. And like I said, there are a number of good arguments to make that deal. Uh, but for what he brings to the team, what he's been able to do, I think he is still part of the entire package. Uh, it, it's a close vote. But I think if I was there, I, would be a, I wouldn't have the stones to make that decision. How do you think it'll play out? Because Ed Bouchette of the Post-Gazette is reporting that, that uh, Lev Bell is no guarantee to be brought back. Yeah, and if you're hearing the same things, and if uh, you know, there's chatter about that on social media and some of the news stories right now, so if that's out there, then, you know, look, I, I don't think that this is going to be a Steelers tipping their hand or anything to get it out there to make him worry about his position with the team. They don't need to do that right now. He, you know, he's Oh no, gonna... I think he I think he would rebel against that anyway. Exactly. I was going to say the way he's handled things, you know, so far, that would absolutely turn into just another as you like to say another chaos angle with the Steelers. So, um how do I think it's going to play out? I would think that he wouldn't be back. If that's the rumor out there right now, uh, I would tend to go with that. See, I think they're tired of his distractions. Part of it, yeah. I think him talking about sitting out next year, 48 hours before a playoff game, really stuck in their craw. And he will hold out all of next camp at the very least. Right. And who knows if he's serious about sitting out the season or at the least maybe missing a few games, although then he'd miss a few paychecks. I just, I think they're tired of his act, and I think they have every reason to be tired of his act. And like I said, there are ready replacements available at a lot lower price, and he's just not your number one weapon now. That was proven in that game against Jacksonville when the score maneuvered Bell out of the reckoning, and A.B. had to step up, and he certainly did. If I was going to be convinced by somebody on the Steelers staff, Mark, and I was sitting in that meeting, that would be the number one thing to convince me is that he is not the number one weapon that he might have been at the beginning of the season because that's absolutely Antonio Brown right now after what he showed in that game and all through the season. I mean, he is just unbelievable. Uh, last night's Penguin game, Bob, I thought that was a disappointing loss, and I think giving up four breakaways and a couple two-on-one breaks in one game is just inexcusable, and I think it stems from reckless pinching and the defenseman joining the play uh, too much. What say you? Two biggest things I took out of your conversation with Josh Yoey just now is that, yeah, the defense does find themselves way too deep, way too often. Now, sometimes I'm kind of enamored with it. I thought that Alexiak had a good opportunity last night. I thought that Hunwick did some good work down there, but also... In doing that, they get caught. They get caught too often and turned around to bite them in the butt last night. Well, you know, I don't have a problem with Latang joining the rush and pinching at every opportunity, but what's Matt Hunway going to do? Right. What has he done? Schultz a little less than Latang, Mata a little less than Schultz, but but I don't think Dumoulin, Hunwick, and Alexiak should do it very much, especially if the scoring situation dictate. Uh, playing it a little safer. I don't have any problem with what Dumoulin's doing right now, Mark. I don't think he does that too often, and I don't see him getting caught. I don't see him being irresponsible on certain things. Uh, I just think number eight is smooth for the Penguins right now. Uh, he's consistent. Oh, no, 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 I'm not criticizing Dumoulin. I'm just questioning how much he contributes when he gets involved in the offense. Understood. Right. I, I mean, they've got the firepower to let the offensive guys do that. And again, Chris Letang's a special case because he can recover when things go bad quickly. And sometimes they go bad quickly because of his doing. But again, he's mostly able to recover. Well, and here's another thing they're doing that I've, I've taken great pains to notice. 
when they pinch now, the defensemen down the boards, they're trying to pick the puck out clean too much as opposed to just barreling in with your body, tying the guy up and seeing if you could pull the puck out of the collision. Right. I mean, let's look at an example like that. Last night, Alexiak did that twice. He came in. It was like a swooping move, like he was a forward. He went right to the net. He picked the puck up off the wall on the other side and came back around with either a nice backhand pass or another shot on goal. I don't know if you want that to happen all the time uh, because of what happens going the other way. Well, Uh, right, right. It looks good when it works, but what if it doesn't? Right. And last night it didn't on many, many occasions. Too many, yeah. Uh, What about Kessel's goal? He's He's... I would say unbelievable, Mark, but he keeps doing it again and again. I watched the goal a couple of times last night and again on social media. The way he bears down on that stick and just releases like that, I can't believe he doesn't have more stick snap. Because, I mean, Actually, just, a, lot, a lot do snap, but, I, but I, I know what you mean. But, I mean, you see when it works like it did last night. Like he always said, Gibson's his glove wasn't even in the air yet, and that puck was beh- right past him. Um, it was just a perfect shot by Kessel. He, it looked like he wanted to set it up and fire it right from the faceoff dot where he did. Everything worked. Um, yeah, how he is not an all-star. <laughs> Can't figure that well, Bob, out. Bob, never mind that. He might win the scoring title. Uh, he's, he's only six points back. And, and I Imagine if he wins the scoring title. <laughs> they might have to give him some kind of an award. <laughs> you know, He'd probably be the only guy to win the scoring title and not get the trophy. Yeah, he'd give another one-sentence answer to Potash. Yeah, screw, I had a good year. screw him out of the Art Ross. <laughs> And he'd just say, it is what it is, guys. Right, and skate off to the casino. Yeah, that, that that's right. But, but I, you know, I don't think he can catch Kucherov unless Kucherov gets hurt. Six points doesn't sound like much. Six-point lead in the middle of January is a pretty big lead unless that guy gets hurt or unless Mario Lemieux is the guy chasing him like in 93 with LaFontaine. But, uh, but look at the power play, Mark. I mean, the numbers they're putting up right now. You know what weapons. Phil would have to do? Phil would have to have like a couple four-point nights in pretty close proximity. Which, you're not ruling that out. And don't forget you're tied with a lot of guys, though, too. Like, Tavares right. is in there, so it'll be tough. But I'd love to see Phil do it, and I can't count him out the way, like you said, the power play's going, and he's getting his share of five-on-five goals, too. Well, the other thing is, I mean, look at Kucherov's teammates and what he's got to work with down there. He's going to keep piling up the points. Phil is in the same boat. Tavares, isn't, he doesn't have that luxury right now. So I think it's a two-man race. And the way that things are I mean, look at the points that those three guys, your three superstars on the Penguins, are piling up right now with Malkin, Crosby, and Kessel. They're just coming in bunches now. But, but Bob, you know what else you need, too? Like I said, Phil needs a couple four-point games or three-point games in close proximity. And they also need to like run up the score like 8 nothing on some crap team. And really, I'm not sure there is a team quite that bad in the league this year. And the Penguins probably wouldn't beat them by that much anyway, given that uh, that uh, they're having trouble scoring 5-on-5. Five five. By the way, here's who Phil's tied with. Kucherov with 60 points. Phil's tied with Tavares, Kessel, McKinnon, Gaudreau, and Giroux. With Wheeler and Voracek just a point behind. And Stamkos and McDavid just a point behind them. And then Sidney Crosby is... Three points, below, uh, excuse me, four points below McDavid. No, three. And I think Sid will wind up in the top ten for sure. I think so, too. You know, McKinnon's making a strong push right now. Um, not Maybe not the t- obviously not the top guy for MVP. That's got to be Kucherov. But he's lighting it up also. But again, he doesn't have the teammates. He doesn't have the accompanying, you know, people that uh, Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, Kucherov have. Uh, well, yeah, I don't think that matters. I don't think that I, I, you really think that gets stirred in the MVP because no no, no did, I'm talking about scoring race I'm oh, sorry okay okay well because if that got stirred in the MVP 
the lone wolf on the bad team would win MVP a lot more. And honestly, you you rarely see that. Uh, up next, very rarely does somebody make the list twice in close proximity to the first time, but it, we have multiple winners today, and uh, one name will be familiar. Then at 5.15, we talk football with Peter King, the Monday morning quarterback. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9.